Over the years, there have been many attempts by song artists to uh, communicate what it means to be alive, from the Black Eyed Peas to Kiss to Pearl Jam to Cruella to uh, P.O.D. Many have captured or, or sought to capture what it means to be alive, either through a song title uh, or an album uh, titled Alive. Uh, but in most of these in- instances, perhaps even in all of uh, these instances, songwriters and artists have uh, failed to capture what it means to truly be alive because they have relegated aliveness to a feeling, most often a feeling uh, that is based on a relationship uh, with someone else. And the truth is that being alive is not a feeling, it is a reality. To be physically alive is to be not dead. To be dead is to be not living. Death and life are opposites. So most often this is uh, readily seen. And the same thing is true according to the scriptures of our spiritual life. When it comes to our spiritual condition, when it comes to our spiritual status before God, all of us are either spiritually alive or spiritually dead. I know of nowhere in scripture that makes that point so clearly as Romans chapter 6. So let me invite you, church, to open the scriptures with me this morning to Romans chapter 6 as uh, we look at what it means to believe in Jesus and to declare belief in Jesus uh, through baptism. Romans chapter 6, and as we look at God's word there, as we look at this uh, important text that conveys uh, important central truths of our faith, I believe that we will see that Christ followers are called to embrace their new life in Jesus. Christ followers, or Christians, are called to embrace their new life in Jesus. In other words, it's more than just something we talk about. It's more than uh, something that we just speak about. It is a life to be lived, a way of life that embraces Jesus as Lord and seeks to follow after him. So as you find your place in Romans chapter 6, let me invite you uh, to join me this morning standing out of reverence for the one whose word it is we are reading. Romans chapter 6, I'll uh, begin reading uh, verses 1 through 4. There the scriptures read this way. Paul is writing to the church in Rome. He says, what shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? For don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death. In order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. And Father, we do acknowledge this morning that you are the author of life, that you are the creator of life and the giver of life, the sustainer of life, the redeemer of life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Father, we thank you for that life. Lord, I pray now that your spirit would lead us as we seek to rightly understand the truths of your word. Father, would you captivate our hearts In our minds, would you draw us closer and closer to you? And it's in Christ's name we pray and ask these things. Amen. You may be seated. Well, I remember the day well. December the 28th, 2007 was one of the most significant uh, days of my life, a day that uh, no doubt captured uh, the second most commitment that I've ever made in my life. Uh, and the second most uh, important experience that I've been a part of 
in my life thus far, for that was the day that Ashley and I uh, committed our lives together in, in marriage. And you can see some pictures uh, on the screen. Ashley doesn't know about this, so uh, surprise to her. But you can see some pictures here of, of two uh, young folks, uh, two young 22-year-olds uh, committing to life together, setting out uh, to conquer uh, the world together. So uh, pictures of, of us on our wedding day. Here a picture of us leaving after the ceremony and uh, many others participating in that event by uh, throwing fake snow on us that uh, went in our mouths and, and everywhere. Uh, but uh, what an exciting day. Another picture that uh, shows my, my immediate family there as part of that day, part of uh, that celebration. And certainly there were many key players that day. Uh, there uh, were decorators and there were food makers. There were groomsmen and ushers. There were bridesmaids. There was uh, a best man and a matron of honor. There was uh, a father and mother of the bride. In fact, they're here this morning as as well. There were parents of the groom. There was uh, a groom. There were ring. Uh, there was a flower girls and, and a ring bearer. Uh, and certainly there was my beautiful uh, bride. But uh, that day was a day that we'll never forget. It was a significant day. Uh, it was a memorable day. As many wedding ceremonies are, it was a big deal. But I want you to know this morning that the public ceremony is actually not necessary. And what I mean by that is that uh, the public ceremony, the public wedding ceremony is not uh, a requirement for a couple to be legally married. In fact, all that's required for a couple to legally be married is to say I do in front of a legal official and there uh, then co- uh, complete the, the proper legal paperwork. So if that's the case, if, if the public ceremony is not necessary, then why uh, do, do couples participate in a public wear, wedding ceremony? And I think this is why. Because this is an opportunity for uh, a bride and a groom to declare before others their devotion to each other and their love for each other. When, when a groom says, I, I do, he's, he's saying, I want people to know how much I love my bride. And when a bride uh, says, I do, she said, I want others to know how much I love uh, my groom. And as we think back on the scriptures and the scripture passage that I read moments ago, I want you to see a connection this morning between a public wedding ceremony and declaring faith in Christ through believer's baptism. On a wedding day, a a couple stands before others and says, yes, I do. And on a day that individuals are baptized before the church, they stand before others and they say, yes, I believe. Yes, I believe in in Jesus, He is my Lord, He is my Savior. I have trusted in Him, and I want to identify with Him. I want to follow after Him. Romans chapter 6 is written in the context of uh, a written conversation that Paul has been having with his audience between grace uh, and the law. And so he's just emphasized at the end of chapter 5 that salvation is not by works of the law. It's not something we can earn. It's not something we can accomplish on our own. It's solely an act of the grace of God, the undeserved kindness uh, of God. In fact, he says that the law was was given to reveal our sin, to expose our sin, to show that none of us measure up to God's standard, that none of us have been good enough, that 
that none of us are worthy of salvation, but even so, God is a merciful God, a gracious God, who despite our sin, desires to extend salvation to us by His grace, that we might be forgiven, that we might be restored into right relationship with Him. But as Paul makes that emphasis through writing, he anticipates some responding a certain way. If salvation is only by grace, then why does it matter how we live? His opponents might say. In other words, if, if it's all about grace, and if, if where sin increases, God's grace is all the more obvious, some might say, then, then why give up enjoying sin? Why turn away from sin and embrace this new way of living? And Paul responds to that accusation with verse 2. He says, by no means, we are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer. In other words, if we have repented and trusted in Christ, then we are new people. We can no longer live the way we used to. We are followers of Jesus Christ. In other words, and this is the point, I think, of verses 1 through 10 of Romans chapter 6, Christians receive a new position in Christ. Christians receive a new uh, position in, in Christ. It's a transformation that takes place when someone recognizes their sin before God and they repent of their sin and they turn to Jesus for salvation when they trust in Him for life. And Paul captures this sharp contrast throughout this, this chapter. Just black and white language. Those who turn to Christ are no longer the same. Sure, they're the same on the outside, but they're different on the inside. And he contrasts words like death and Dying and died and died and crucified with life and live, raised, resurrection and, and alive. Drastic transformation that takes place when someone comes to know and to follow Jesus. Their allegiances change, their priorities begin to change. They begin to serve and follow after Christ rather than serve themselves. Elsewhere, Paul Stated it this way in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. He said, I have been crucified with Christ. And I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. In the life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. In other words, something phenomenal takes place when someone comes to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. They become a new person with a new identity, a new status, a new purpose, a new significance, new meaning as children of God. And this is far better than perhaps what it sounds on the surface. You might say, well, it doesn't sound that good to be killed and reborn, to be crucified, to give up my life. But this is far, far better than the alternative. For Jesus invites us to experience new life, forgiveness of sins, reconciliation with the maker of heaven and earth, to join in his family that we might continually call upon the one and only God as our Father. So men and women, students, boys and, and girls, let me urge you, let me encourage you, let me exhort you based upon the Word of God today to receive the grace of Jesus. Receive the grace of, of Jesus. Receive the life that He gives. The end of this chapter, Romans chapter 6, verse 23, Paul writes, For the wages of sin... The earnings of sin is death. 
but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Receive the grace of Jesus Christ. Receive the, the forgiveness of sins and the eternal life that he, that he offers. Don't you want to know that life is more important than struggles and joys and temptations and sorrows? Don't you want to know that life is, is more important than a quest for success? Don't you want to know that life is more important than sports and than politics? That life is more significant than those things. That life is meant to be lived forever and ever in relationship with, with God. And we as His people are called upon to embrace this new way of living in Jesus Christ. See, when, when someone trusts in Jesus for salvation, their life changes. They declare that He is Lord, that He is Master, that He is Savior, that He is worthy of following, that He gives true and lasting life. Priorities begin to change. And church, this is why baptism is such a big deal because baptism is a declaration before the church that yes, I know Jesus Christ. I've trusted in Him for salvation and I have been given new life in Him. Yes, I believe in Him. So church, if you have received the grace of Jesus Christ, whether today or 30 years ago, and you've never declared before others your commitment to Christ and your new life in Christ through believer's baptism, then let me call on you based upon the word of God to display your new life through believer's baptism. To display your new life that Jesus has extended to you, that Jesus has given you by grace through faith through believer's baptism. And what a celebratory event that is and, and should be. Jesus, before he ascends back to his rightful place in heaven, tells his followers, Matthew chapter 28, verse 19, he said, Therefore go and make disciples of all nations. Go and make other followers of Jesus. Go and tell others everywhere about me, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And this is exactly what his disciples did. Like we read in Acts chapter 2, Peter gets up to preach at Pentecost and he is direct with the crowds who are gathered there to celebrate this religious festival. And he tells them that salvation is found in Jesus, the one whom they have crucified. And the Holy Spirit of God works through his, his message and his audience is convicted. Many of them are converted to followers of Jesus. In Acts chapter 2 verse 41 we read, those who accepted his message were baptized. Those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. You see, baptism is a declaration, an expression before others of an inward reality, something that has already taken place in a believer's heart by trusting in Jesus for salvation. And just as a public wedding ceremony is not what makes a husband and wife husband and wife, public act of baptism is not what makes someone a follower of Jesus, but it is part of declaring that, yes, I follow Jesus. I am one of his. I have undergone a transformation of allegiance. I'm a follower of Jesus, and I want others to know that I follow Jesus. I have been crucified and reborn. I am a new man, a new woman, a new boy, a new girl. I am one of God's through Jesus Christ, our Lord. 
And church, what a great privilege it is that we have had this morning to observe believers' baptism, to celebrate this event. Indeed, it is something worthy of, of celebrating. Something worthy of joining together and praising God for. So every time you see another believer who is baptized, or every time that you hear about baptism, Christian, or every time that you read about baptism, believer, let me urge you to remember your own baptism. To remember your own baptism. To remember the day that you stood before others and you publicly identified with Jesus Christ. That you publicly said, yes, I believe in Jesus and I want others to know that I am a follower of Jesus. Think back to the day. Think back to the moment now. Think back to our church family or perhaps a biological family, friends, celebrated what was taking place in your life. For believers, and not only believers here on earth, but the angels in heaven, I believe, rejoiced that day because they know that life in Christ is something worthy of celebration. And baptism captures this spiritual truth through a public commitment and declaration of following Christ. Believers have this new position in Christ. Church, believers have a new position in Christ. And in the second part of this passage, I think that we see that Christians must live out that new position in Christ. Christians have been given a new position, a new status in and through Jesus, but we are then called upon to live in light of who we are, to live as followers of of Christ. In other words, if, if this is who you are, Believer, if this is who you are, friend, if this is who you are, Christian, then live as a follower of Jesus Christ. May the world know by looking at your life, by observing your conduct, by hearing your speech, that you indeed declare Jesus as your Lord, that you declare Jesus as as your Savior. In other words, when you're tempted to lash out in anger at your spouse or at the customer service representative or at the person driving the car next to you, the Scriptures call upon us to then speak praise to God. We're no longer to use our bodies and our mouths and all that God has given us as instruments of wickedness, as instruments of sin, but we're called upon to give those things to God as instruments of righteousness that would glorify His name. When you're tempted to sit, sulk over the ineptitude of the coaches of your favorite sports team, me encourage you instead, encourage me instead to get up and to go love our neighbors as ourselves. When you and I are tempted to listen and to speak angrily and judgmentally and hopelessly about the troubling future of This nation, 24-7, let me call upon us based upon the words of God to instead declare the hope and the life and the forgiveness of sins that we have through Jesus Christ our Lord. For we have been given a good message, a powerful message of new life, of hope, of resurrection, of eternity with God, of life in His, His presence. If you're a Christian, then... Paul says you have been called upon to offer every part of yourself to Him. 
all of you, believer, to Jesus Christ as an instrument of his, his righteousness. The world should know by looking at you, by looking at me, that we indeed claim Jesus as Lord. In writing to the church in Ephesus, Paul stated the same truth this way, Ephesians chapter 4, verses 22 and following. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Church, we're called upon to live a new life, a life of allegiance to Jesus Christ, our Lord, not to simply be people who talk about this faith, but people who actually live out this faith. And the good news for us is that this is the most satisfying way of living. That living for Jesus is the most satisfying. It is the most significant. It is what leads to the most joy in the lives of his people. Let's commit ourselves to him and let's follow hard after him. I don't know if you knew this or not, but supposedly black bear uh, sightings are actually on the rise in Alabama. Don't be too alarmed. This is not too much cause to worry because experts say you uh, actually have very little chance of encountering uh, a black bear in the wild. But if you do and you're anything like me, then you want to know uh, how to get out of that uh, encounter unharmed. And so I want to share with you what, what I learned. If you encounter a black bear in the wild, you are supposed to act like something you are not. Uh, you are supposed to uh, look as large and intimidating and sound as intimidating as you possibly can uh, with the hopes of convincing that bear uh, that you are more powerful than it is, which obviously is not the case, right? But if you encounter a brown bear or a grizzly bear, uh, which good news here, these are not in Alabama, uh, then your approach is to be a little bit different. But once again, you are to pretend to be something you're not. You're called upon to play dead uh, because you have no hope of convincing one of these bears that you are more powerful than it is. So you play dead and you hope that this bear is no longer uh, seeing you as a threat uh, or as uh, a meal, and you hope to come out uh, alive. In either case, you are called upon, I'm called upon in such a circumstance uh, to pretend to be something we are not. And church, I'm convinced that far too often we as followers of Jesus Christ, we as Christians pretend to be something we are not. We pretend to be lost in our sin. We pretend to be dead in our sin. We pretend to be under condemnation and guilt from the law of God when, in fact, we have been freed through Jesus Christ our Lord to live for Him, to run after Him, to pursue Him, to proclaim His greatness. We forget whose and who we are in Jesus Christ. Let's not pretend anymore. Let's live for Jesus. I don't mean by that a life of perfection, for none of us can live up to God's standard. In fact, in the very next chapter of Romans, Paul recounts the struggle that he has. This ongoing temptation and struggle that he continues to get wrapped up in sin. But let's live with a desire for Jesus to follow after him. As the choir sang earlier today, let's, let's want more of Jesus. Give me Jesus, for that is enough. I'm talking about bears this morning. We have any Cubs fans here this morning? I've seen uh, a couple, got several today. 
I want you to, God is good. I want you to know that uh, I'm not really a, a baseball fan. I'm certainly not a, a Cubs fan. But this past week, I was a Cubs fan with the best of them. Uh, I was cheering for the Cubs. In fact, Ashley was saying, why are you watching this? You don't care about this. But uh, the excitement of all of it uh, brought out some, some new fans. And certainly I was one of them for, for a temporary time. I was pretending to be something I, I wasn't. Church, let's not pretend to be something we're not when it comes to following Christ. We are His. If we have trusted in Him for salvation, we are His. Let's live like it. Let's live out our new position in Jesus Christ. And so as I bring this message to a close this morning, I want to give you two uh, final ways to embrace this new life. This life that God has given us to be enjoyed, to be lived, to be embraced. Two ways that we can practice embracing this new life. Firstly, let's confess sin. Let's confess sin. The truth is that, that no one is a child of God apart from the grace of God. We are sinners saved by grace. But as the saved, we are no longer defined by our sin. We're no longer ruled by our sin. We find our identity in Jesus. We are ruled by Jesus. He is our master. But even so, we still fall short. We still still struggle with sin, and we will as long as we are here in this life. So as we embrace sin at times in a way that is not honoring to God, let's confess sin readily. The Bible teaches that if we confess our sin, God is faithful and just. And He will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. What a promise for us that when we confess our sin to Him, He he forgives us and He cleanses us and He no longer holds our sin against us. But He sees the blood of Jesus Christ as one and only Son who gave His life for us. Let's confess our sin regularly, daily. It's part of cultivating an intimate relationship with God. We're exhorted to live out our new life in Jesus by confessing our sin and secondly, by following Jesus. So let's confess sin, church, and let's follow after Jesus. Jesus himself is speaking to his disciples, those who expressed a commitment to him and wanted to follow after him. And he describes what that looks like in Matthew chapter 16, verses 24 and 25. We read there, Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. And he goes on, he says, for whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. In other words, following Jesus is is about surrendering to Him and finding true life, eternal life, true identity, lasting identity as a follower of the one and only Son of God, Jesus Christ our Lord. So in short, the Christian life is at its core not about observing a list of rules and regulations. In fact, the Christian life at its core is not even about having the right set of moral absolutes. But at its core, the Christian life is about surrendering to Jesus Christ, about turning away from a life of self-centeredness to a life of of Christ-centeredness, a life of embracing Jesus as Lord, embracing Jesus as Master. So church, let's declare today, yes, I believe in Jesus, and my desire is to live for Him. 
I want to live for him. I want to follow him. I want to turn away from a life that's all about me and turn toward a life of following Jesus Christ. Church, let's follow Jesus today, tomorrow, Tuesday, and forevermore. Father, we do thank you for the truths of your word. We thank you for the opportunity once again to come together in your name, to declare your greatness, or to acknowledge that that you alone are God, that you are worthy of our praise, that you have spoken to us, and that you desire to lead us. Father, we thank you for new life in Christ. We pray that we would be faithful followers of Jesus Christ. Lead us now, Lord, as we respond to the truths of your word, to declare our love for you, our allegiance to you, our desire to be led by you and to serve you. Guide us in all things that we might honor your name. And it's in Christ's name we pray and ask these things. Amen.